Hey, everybody. It is another edition of the Chris Two Cent Eric podcast. I am here. Eric is here. I am here. That's a fact. (laughs) Fantastic. Eric, what do we have on the go today? Today, we are talking about conspiracy theories, the power of narrative, and QAnon. Ooh, QAnon? That's still a thing? Crazy. All right, let's jump right in. So, Eric, I got a question for you. What is the craziest conspiracy theory you've ever heard? The craziest conspiracy theory I've ever heard is every conspiracy theory I've never believed. Because Hmm. if I believed them, they wouldn't be crazy. But I do think the one that comes to mind is there's this whole idea about the mole people. And I remember hearing about this guy in the States back at the beginning of COVID. And there was one of these COVID relief ships that came, like the medical ones that pulled up at port. And he was a train conductor. And he really believed that the ship was full of a pedophile ring and mole people. And so he drove the train through the end of the tracks, trying to crash it into the boat, hoping that it would open the boat up and start an investigation and people would find out about this pedophile ring and the mole people and all of that. He just got arrested. Well, yeah, I think for me, um, one of the ones that's always stood out to me is um, Barack Obama being a secret, uh, secret Muslim Mm -hmm. uh, and that he was sent, he was kind of manufactured to be able to go and, destroy America for the inside out all in the name of Allah. Uh, We've learned over the last, I guess now, since he's been president about 14 years, um, that was not the case, that he simply had a a Muslim name that was given to him that, and he went by Barry for the most of his, most of his life trying to avoid that sort of thing. But this idea that like he was, um, that he wasn't a, a true, true born American, that he had Muslim ties uh, and that would destroy the the beautiful evangelical framework that is the United States of America and all of the pristine uh, cleanliness of their Christian nation that had been that never been, that had not been sullied by their own hands um, since um, its inception as a nation. I think that's that one and every every MBA theory that the referees are against your favorite team. I think those are the the, the conspiracy theories that sound to me the most. That's always if if um, if um, the referee is going against your team, there's a conspiracy against your team. Even if the even if the fouls are the same, it's always against your team. So I am I am a fierce believer, fierce believer that the NBA is against the, the Toronto Raptors every day of my life. But we all do this. We all have these overarching narratives that we create, and that's really all conspiracy theories are. Is there ways of explaining? things that we don't understand about what's happening in the world, right? We, we don't like the fact that the Toronto Raptors lose games because of the referees' calls. So we say there's conspiracy. The NBA doesn't like them. They don't want them to win. They only want LA and Miami and whoever else to win, right? Um, and so it gives our, our life some meaning and it says like, this is why we're not winning. It explains it. It's just not that like we didn't win the game. We weren't good enough. Forces are against us, right? And it's a way of kind of make sense of a, random and complex world where one bounce of the ball or four bounces of the ball can be the difference between winning and losing. Right. Yeah. 
it also gives us a sense that somebody or something knows what's going on is actually in control. Yeah, behind so the scenes. It's not that the NBA is random. It's that it's rigged. It's not that COVID is disruptive and nobody knows what's going on or how to fix it, but it's actually a government plot. It's not that our side lost the election and Barack Obama won and we disagree with his policies, but he was more popular. It's that he's a Muslim plant and he's not actually an American. Or we see right now that like two thirds of evangelicals think that Biden was elected illegitimately, right? It's a way of explaining things that we don't like or we don't understand because the world is complex. To be fair, that's what we're literally doing with this show where we're trying to kind of fit the complexity of life into a narrative about how the world's sort of being divided into increasingly rational fans of various teams. And all of our teams sort of operate on this narrative that our team is the good team. Mm -hmm. And our team is supposed to win, whether that's my political team, my sports team, the cultural team I'm on, the religious team I'm on. And the other team is bad and they should lose. We, we would rather, we much rather have the idea of like facts don't matter. Like that, if there's one thing that we learned, we've always known this, right? But it was made very apparent in 2020 that facts don't matter. Now, mm. there's a couple, of, a couple of pieces to that though. Sometimes you get con, um, contracting facts from very smart people. Well, this is what we've this is what we've discovered. This is what we've discovered, and then you end up choosing the facts that best fit your your narrative. And other times, even if you have facts, ha ah, hashtag facts, you have other people who are much louder, and it doesn't matter if they have facts. And so you end up following them because they are the best representative of your your team. They have done the lawyer thing. They have proven a case by really not proving a case, but simply by yelling louder than everybody else. And suddenly you then believe it. And more often than not, conspiracies, they sometimes look normal, but they're not. And sometimes they look normal, but they're presented by people who don't live in the world of normal. I'm thinking of like the My Pillow guy who, you know, buys like X amount of hours of ad time to explain in very poor detail uh, why uh, Donald Trump lost the 2020 election. And he has, and because he has no, there's no respect for him, I guess you could say, there's no credibility, that's probably the better word. People just kind of like look at him and think, oh yeah, like you're, 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 you're a quack. Like you have, you have no clue, you sell pillows. What do you know about any of this stuff? But then there are others, and you and I both know them, whether they're dog whistle, dog whistle politics or gerrymandering, who use certain lines Certain lines about immigration, certain lines about gender, certain lines about the loss of something and, and the, the being robbed of something. And the conspiracy sounds so much like truth that you're willing to, to, to believe it. I, I, I liken it to uh, the story that we see at the beginning of our story in the area of Christendom, the area of Christianity, the area of, of scripture, where... Um, the serpent explains things just in a certain way to Adam and Eve, that it sounds true. 
if you're in this conversation, if you're not an argumentative person, you're like, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. I'm going to go with this. You know, Satan does the exact same thing to Jesus in, in Luke 4 when he's in the desert. Just removes a couple of words from scriptures that he quotes. Just a couple of words here and there to make it sound like true, but he's actually spitting conspiracy to be able to kind of shift a story here, here and there. We've seen over the course of COVID the rise of these conspiracy series. I mean, certainly, certainly the election had a part to do with that. Facebook has a lot to do with that. I see that more and more. I was scrolling through today and I'm like the number of things that people I know are posting that I'm like, how do you land on this? I don't understand. But we're seeing it more and more because everything seems out of control, right? It, it doesn't seem to fit with the narrative that we had for ourselves before going forward. I think back to WandaVision and there's a line in there where she's watching TV with vision and they're watching old Malcolm in the middle episodes and something happens and somebody gets crushed by a falling porch or something like that. And vision is concerned. He's like, how is this funny? And she's like, Oh, everybody's okay. Don't worry. It's not that kind of show. show. And I think for the longest time we've been living in a world, especially in the West, North America and Western society, where we just assume that we're not in that kind of show. Mm. Right. Everything is always going to turn out. Okay. We haven't really had an experience of things going terribly wrong. We haven't been a part of a world war. Our lives here in North America are just generally pretty comfortable. And that's for the, like the dominant narrative. We'll probably get into a little bit later about how there's actually these counter narratives within North American culture of people saying, Hey, wait a second. Things do not always turn out. Okay. This is not that kind of story for us, but for white majority culture, we all say, yeah, yeah, everything's good. It's not the kind of story. In Western countries, we've done worse with COVID. And there's a whole article in the intelligence about this. We've done worse with COVID because we haven't taken the big actions necessary early enough because they would disrupt our lives. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we didn't really think it could happen here. We heard stories about it happening in China. We heard about it happening in Italy. And we're like, it's not going to get that bad here. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And if we'd done things back in like January, February of 2020, maybe we never end up here. You know, maybe we end up like New Zealand or Australia. But we didn't because we didn't think it could happen to us. Because that's the story that we tell about ourselves is our lives are going to go this way. And anything that interrupts it, we're like, we're not in that type of story. And so we're looking for stories that explain why this is happening the way it is. Either we deny COVID, we say it's 5G, we say it's a conspiracy of Bill Gates or the government or the elites or all these things because it doesn't line up with the narrative we have for ourselves. Yeah, like this this morning I was watching a video of Chris Skye. If you don't know who Chris Skye is, he is a, at least in, in Toronto, he is probably one of the loudest, uh, you know, uh, loudest anti-mask, anti-restriction advocates. I was going to call him, uh, was going to call him something else, but I won't do that. Want want to be respectful on this show, and he was on Rebel News, but he was on it, and he was saying, you know, you know, if if we all rose up, if we all fought against these restrictions, what are they going to do? Are they going to find all of us? All these fines, and they're not going to go to hold in court? We need to we. 
there's a emasculation of men because men are being compliant as opposed to as opposed to standing up for themselves and watching this and them going if i was in, if i was feeling mad mad one day if i was if i was feeling a ways i'd be like yeah you know what you're right screw these masks screw. one none of no one likes them it's either you wear them because you have to or and hate them or you don't wear them because you don't want to and you hate them there's no sort of like somebody who's like like bank robbers right now are like they're so pissed they're like dang it like that one thing that i had over everyone i can't use anymore you know what i mean like it's like it's like the movie inside man where everyone's in the the costumes and everyone's in the in the uniform like everyone's a everyone's a, a burglar what i'm trying to make is this he he's on on this television show or on this online show i should say and he's just saying like we need to the blame is on the government. The blame is on them. The blame is on them. Fight for your freedom. Fight for your freedom. Fight for your freedom. Meanwhile, you and I, we've both come in contact with people who have caught this virus, who have gotten sick from it, who have gotten very sick from it. I know I have two family members who have passed away from this, from this virus. And the people who have passed away, they're, they're people who are what we would describe in evangelical churches as people with integrity. People who don't lie, who don't draw attention to themselves, people who their yes is their yes and their no is their no, like that, so those sort of people who aren't going to simply say they got something for the fun of it because they're looking for to be on someone's prayer chain. They would be the more sort of people to say, like, don't tell anybody I got this. That's who they are. So when I hear people say, like, this is a hoax, I'm like, well, you're hitting that where I live because then you're saying the people who have gotten sick from this people who I know are liars. You're, you're saying like, you're, you're, you're taking this idea of conspiracy and you're saying that it's truth. And then you're saying to the people who have gotten sick, you're actually the conspiracy theorist because you've had the wool pulled up in your, oh, over, over your eyes. You're, you're, you're placing blame on the wrong people. When really, when you look at something like, like COVID there, I mean, you can put blame on, on government, you put blame on, but ultimately like people get sick and this is something that's gone well beyond what anybody can control. There isn't really a blame person. I don't blame somebody for, for if I get the flu, I'm going, that, that sort of thing. But that's what we do. Conspiracies are more about serving your base and then pointing a finger. And more so than that, they're more about pointing a finger than they are about protecting your base. Because if, you if you point it out there, then you don't really have to think about what's going on in here. Right. And I mean, we see this happen on both sides. And so when you're talking about people preying on other people and giving them the answers they want and how that hurts other people, I mean, we think of Donald Trump and his sort of courting of QAnon and stop the steal and like all this stuff around the election where stoking the fires of misinformation and allowing people to believe that they're what really was QAnon and that the march on the Capitol was a whole part of that plan and that they really could do something about this. Um, and so it's easy to point to that and say, yeah, that's obvious. People should know better. But I mean, I spent a few months back in 2017 reading Seth Abraham, uh, Abramson's Twitter feed pretty regularly for a while about Russia, Trump conspiracies and how it all tied together. Right. You know, and I, I thought it was fun. I, I didn't 100% believe it, but I certainly thought it was possible. Right, for sure. Because it fits with the sort of narrative of, well, how on earth did Donald Trump become president? <laughs> yeah. It allows us to create enemies of other people on the other side. 
And we see them as all bad. Instead of like nuanced, so Barack Obama, perfect example, right? You didn't have to agree with him politically. There would be a lot of room for nuanced conversation there between, you know, Republicans and his more sort of Democrat Democratic positions. But once you start saying, oh, he's actually a Muslim and he's not really American, then he's then you can say anything you want about him and right. you can justify all sorts of things and you're not having a real conversation anymore. And I think where that gets really scary, you brought up the example of your family members or people we know that get COVID and what does it mean to sort of deny that? But we, we do that all the time or we see that happen all the time with marginalized groups of people mm-hmm. where the dominant cultural narrative says, this is how things are. And then you have, people of color who are saying, actually, this has not been our experience of society. Yeah. This is what we're, this is what has happened to us. And it's just denied because we don't want to see that about ourselves. So black lives matters protests. And there's a whole bunch of people who are like, they're making a fuss about stuff that happened 400 years ago. Or if they only complied with police officers, none of this would ever happen. And all these people of color get up and say, no, no, this happens over and over and over again. This is our real experience. And we have the facts and we have the facts and the studies to back it up. You're right. reminding me like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, we both paused at the exact same time. Hilarious. I thought you were gonna go somewhere with that. Oh no, but like they, no, they, but uh, no, but I but I will, Eric. And we're gonna leave this in the show. I will. The idea that someone can say, This is not your experience. And then you can say, not only is this my experience, here is the data to back up this. Here's data to back it up. Here is nonpartisan data to back this up. And what you get thrown with is, and so what you're with is a whole different set of gaslighting ideas. So perfect example of, of that is this. This, this past summer, uh, 2020, um, was probably one of the hardest summers for, for humanity. Um, not only were we locked away due to COVID and things were closed, we were dealing with a racial, racial um, awareness that we probably hadn't had experience as a, as a people in North America since the 1960s, since before you and I were, were born, since the civil rights movement, since seeing people on cover of newspapers being attacked by dogs or being hit with water hoses or being hit beaten with batons. That was, that's what it was sort of like this past summer. And so people are having conversations about, about this and people are taking it to multiple various extremes. You know, white people who are apologizing on behalf of the race, black people who are like, screw you, don't apologize. Don't even come to our rallies and you know, the extremes and everything else in between. And in the midst of that, the conspiracies were, well, if black people were better with their kids, if black people were better with their kids, then this wouldn't be happening. What about black on black violence? Let's look at the, the amount of black on black violence that takes place in all, in, in all these sort of, put together stats that only tell one set of a story. I mean, no one says white on white violence, right? Like these are creative things. Like no one says like white on white violence, whether it's a white person robbing somebody or it's an insurance scam or if it's a murder, it's just crime. But, and we don't even hear Asian on Asian violence. We don't hear Hispanic upon Hispanic, Latinx on Latinx. We hear what is black on black crime is a, is a thing fatherlessness is a thing even though um there was a cdc uh report in 2017 which showed that black men while they might not do cohabitation which is the traditional idea of a family 
are actually more involved with their children than any other race. Because of this idea of conspiracy, black men have decided to step their game up and some black families do family differently than the traditional two parent, multiple kids house and a dog and a picket fence picture. But the idea of fatherlessness is because they're not in the home. They don't live with you. And that's a, that's a conspiracy that gets only gets thrown when the narrative is beginning to change. We're actually forced to come to a reckoning of what's going on around us. So we're talking about George Floyd and the idea of, police brutality, which we legitimately have on record, on video, on um, in, in, in oral tradition and in, and in visual tradition. We've seen this happen. Instead of saying that's a wrong thing, we need to fix that, it's, well, what about black-on-black crime? What about the conspiracy of, of fatherlessness? Well, what we, about the drugs in George Floyd's body and all these things, All these right? sort of like, things. Like, like, did he actually really die from the police officer? He's probably right now, like, sipping matas with Tupac Shakur somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, that's, it's just the ridiculousness instead of coming face-to-face with truth. And it's because it's easier to believe a lie that benefits you than the truth that will actually cause you to grow, which is why it was so much easier. And you, you, you have, you have a little bit of compassion for it. It was so much easier to see men and women praying outside of polling stations in Arizona and praying outside of polling stations in Philadelphia and praying outside of polling stations in, in Georgia, praying for their praying for Donald Trump's, eventual victory because to think of for the children to think of the children that would be destroyed and to think of the immigrants that would take jobs it's we we have it better this way because we've believed this idea because it's easier to believe a lie that benefits you than to suffer from the truth that would help you become a better person i think both you and i have enough experience in the evangelical sort of fundamentalist church world that we can be at least somewhat sympathetic, mm-hmm. not only to why people are praying outside of polling stations in support of Donald Trump, because we know a bunch of people who would do that. Yes, we do. Um, but I grew up absolutely 100% believing that we were in the end times that we called it. Jesus was returning soon. The apocalypse was near. And that as Christians, in our particular brand of Christianity— we had unique insight into what the future of the world held. Yeah. We knew that as certain political events would happen, that we had explanations from the book of Revelation that would tell us how to understand and interpret them and to be prepared. We knew that certain countries meant certain things and that as certain political leaders rose, that would mean certain things. We've had very many options for what the mark of the beast is from your credit card card. to your pin number to the vaccine now it's all these different things and it's easy to make fun of i do Mm. make fun of a bunch of it now (laughs) i really do yes you do eric i don't ever in my life no chris wouldn't do that (laughs) i would never do that (laughs) and I, i mean there's so much i've had to let go that at this point i don't really know what i believe about sort of the end of the world i mean i believe that god restores and redeems all things and that there's a point where humanity and what we would term sort of heaven which is like the divine like the spiritual kind of become one thing but i don't know what 
how that works out. I've sort of given up trying because I'm kind of like burnt out on all the charts and graphs that we had that told us in detail exactly how it was going to work out. The dispensationalism part. Absolutely. But at the same time, I do recognize that the reasoning behind that was honestly because we're a little bit scared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The world is a big and complicated place and scary stuff happens all the time. Even in our safe little North American bubble, there are threats, there are disasters, there are wars, there's unexplained sickness and violence. All these things happen. COVID happens, and we have no real idea why. Mm -hmm. And so we felt better about the world because, well, when crazy stuff happens, that's just a sign that we're getting closer to Jesus coming. And everything's going to be okay. And if we just hang on and we just hang in there, it's going to be okay. So it's easy to make fun of QAnon. It's easy to make fun of the people who stormed the Capitol. It's easy to make fun of people who believe these crazy COVID conspiracies or whatever. But as I said before, conspiracies are only crazy when somebody else believes them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are things that we believe about how things are going to work out or what's happening in the world that are wrong. I don't know if they're conspiracies, but they're wrong. But I believe them because they help me understand the world. Right? Like, like, you know, is it uh, Dallas Willard's book, The Divine Conspiracy? Like, our own belief system in the face of the world is a conspiracy in and of it, in and of itself. We would, we would, we would hold to it as, as truth. We would hold to it as this is the, the breakdown of how, how thing, how things are. But to the world, it's kind of like we are, we're in a, a twilight zone state. You and I, we both were part of uh, what is known as the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, POC, uh, which is, you know, birthed out of, you know, the Assemblies of God, the United States, which is birthed out of a moment in time in Azusa Street, Los Angeles, uh, California in the, you know, the early, early 20th century. There was an urgency that was placed upon those believers in 1906. They were seeing what they believed was um, the book of Joel and the book of Acts happening right there and then, which for them was Jesus come back any minute now. So we need to go out there and tell people as much as possible. They weren't necessarily caught up in the conspiracy. They were caught up in what was happening in those, in those two books in particular is happening right now in front of our eyes. We need to, tell as many people we need to go out and we need to share this truth that Jesus is here and he is one day returning for a pure spotless bride, remembering that Pentecostals have a tie to the holiness movement. So you got to be, you got to be on your best behavior, clean out your gutters all the time because you never know when Jesus is going to come visit you. Um, shout outs to Dr. Van Johnson for that illustration. But um, over time, you and I both know this and both of us, we are fans of um, Jesus and John Wayne, Kristen Dumez. That story, that beautiful story of urgency that came out of marginalized people, namely black and Latino and women who are believing this, um, that, that beautiful moment in time was then co-opted. And then what was added to that was the fear of communism, uh, the fear of, of the rise of China, the fear of an Arabic rise the fear of all these sort of things and tying all of these scriptures 
to the rise of all of these nations. So it's crazy. It's crazy is probably the wrong word to use. It's interesting to see how these things can get co-opted in order to fit a narrative that is, is so far removed from what it in, initially was. Our own Christianity in and of itself is the exact same thing. This, this belief that you and I have in Jesus, this belief that he, out of his selflessness, inspired men and women to be willing to give their lives, to live a life that was counter the culture of the day and the religion of the day. And yet over time, that message was bastardized and taken to back up governments, back up wars, back up slavery, back up murder, back up commerce, back up, back up very, very, the very conspiracies that we're talking about today. So it's just interesting to look at how so many of these conspiracies that we have, especially when it comes to pol- uh, uh, politics and religion, if you draw them back and you peel back all the layers, they started at a really genuinely good place. Just a generation later, they became they became the truth that they were actually trying to avoid at the start. I think that's because the truth that was at the start is a genuine thing. And then a generation or two later, we're so invested in our team winning that we will do whatever it takes to make sure our team wins. And that's not necessarily related to the original thing that was true. Right. And I've been thinking about this because I think we all sort of fall down these rabbit holes of conspiracy. I mean, the internet is basically designed for us to fall down, become fans or fanatics of different things. You know, I mean, it, it, these rabbit holes just draw us in and we can go deeper and deeper. And that's the whole idea. And I'm sort of grateful that we've fallen down some of the rabbit holes we have. I mean, for all the issues that we have with where Christianity is, I mean, I'm grateful that I've been immersed in that Jesus story mm-hmm. and how much that has shaped my life for the positive. There's been a whole bunch of stuff I had to let go, but I'm glad that's a rabbit hole that's been a shaping part of my life. I mean, there are some people that would believe that you and I have fallen down a theological Christian rabbit hole of Anabaptism and sort of Jesus-centric theology where we're getting really loose on a whole lot of really core tenets of of Christian theology. And there are people who are worried about us. Excuse me, as I pour a glass of wine as you continue to talk about this, right? Like to that that end. (laughs) And so, I mean, there are people who are really worried about us. And so I think ultimately when it comes to conspiracies and these narratives, we're we're all going to have narratives that guide our lives. Mm -hmm. We're all going to fall down particular rabbit holes that take up our time and, and lead us in directions in our lives. But I think what's important is that we don't just allow these things to happen. Yeah. But I think that we recognize we have some agency here. Like we're all going to end up being extreme about something. That's the whole idea of this season is that we're all fans of stuff and we all get a little fanatical about our teams. And so maybe the goal is really that we just need to be really careful about the teams that we pick and getting fanatical and extreme about better things. Right. Like it's one thing if our fanaticism leads us to belittle other people, to marginalize them, to see ourselves in competition with others, then that's probably dangerous. But if we can be fanatical about loving people well, Mm. making our neighborhoods a better place, making our communities better, 
um, being more generous, being better people. If we were really fanatical about those things, maybe that wouldn't be so bad. So let me ask you a question then. We, we know, because we, we've both read about it, about how it's evangelicals, in particular white evangelicals, are the ones who are the, the largest, largest voice in the QAnon movement. And we're seeing that, like, after um, President Joe Biden was sworn in, there was supposed to be this moment where QAnon, whoever created it, had said that on that day, Donald Trump is going to walk up and there's going to be arrests. And those who are a part of this Democratic um, pedophile ring, they were going to be given their what's what, and this was going to happen. And there was a disappointment when Joe Biden was sworn in and a beautiful poem was shared and that was the end of that. And then there was reef ceremonies and an online, all the things that were supposed to happen, happened. And they were kind of left going like, so were we lied to? Was this a joke? What would, what would be some things that you would say to somebody who has kind of realized or learned over time that the thing that they were believing in so greatly or the person that they were believing in so greatly wasn't what they thought it was and or they weren't who they thought they were and they're kind of like floating nebulously going like so what do i do next what would be some things that you'd say to them i think of so many people i know right now both in an online sense and in a real life sense who are working through that exact thing particularly with christianity right there were so many things that they grew up with and they told this was true and this was true and this was true and these are good people and you should trust them and what they found is this thing that you're told was true actually isn't true. Yep. And it's much more complicated than that. And the thing that we said was going to happen didn't happen. And these people we told you to look up to, it was a scam. This person was an abuser. This person was sleeping around. This person was stealing money. And so I'd say, yeah, you actually have every right to be disillusioned. When our narrative doesn't line up with reality, that should be a pause for reflection. I would say if you're experiencing it where reality and your narrative are not lining up and you're not recognizing that it's happening, you're not feeling that dis dissonance, you're not feeling that tension, that's when you should be really worried. <laughs> 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 you know, it's like, oh, but when you're recognizing that, I think that's a healthy thing. I think we're always doing a process of analyzing the world around us and saying, are we sure this is true? How do we know this is true? Mm -hmm. There's actually something freeing and good that comes when we let go of things that we've been holding on to when we discover that they're not true. Because the only way we can move on to something better and more true is to let go of the things that aren't true. And so- it's good. That narrative may have been helpful for us for a season to say, hey, I believed that thing and that helped me feel safe and that helped me feel secure, but it's just not true. I'm going to have to let that go now to move into the next thing. And that's scary, but there may be a new or better narrative. We don't need to be scared of that because if you understand what the Bible actually is and the whole history of Christianity and the whole story about this, it's constantly a, hey, back here you believed this thing about God and about the nature of reality. And yeah, that's maybe sort of true, but it's not fully true. So 
Jesus is here to tell you what's more true. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to try and understand what Jesus meant by that. And somebody's going to interpret it this way. And then somebody later is going to interpret it another way. And that's going to be a better version of that. And there's like this arc of working through it that there never has been this time where as human beings, we've fully understood everything about reality, everything about the divine, all of these things. Life is a constant process of analyzing, living with the stories we have, letting them go, and adopting new and better stories that are going to fit us in that season and help us to move forward. So basically, you're saying that we should not try to have a press conference outside of a Four Seasons landscaping. You should never have a press conference outside of the Four Seasons landscaping. If that happens, something has went terribly wrong. (laughs) This has been the Chris Toussaint Eric Podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to leave a five-star review. You can catch up with me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I'm at Eric for Slewis in all those spaces. And you can find me on all socials by simply searching the word that Chris Chase, one word. You can also find me with my goon squad putting in work at the House of Commons show on both YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Both Chris and I are regular contributors to the Meeting House blog. You can find the work that we do there at themeetinghouse.com slash blog. Special thanks goes out to CAT for providing the musical soundtrack for this podcast. You can hear more from CAT by finding them on Bandcamp or Metapop. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.